you up and gives you energy and gives you those things and like mm-hmm. short-term benefit could help yeah like if you just but you like it's the withdrawal like afterwards yeah like people yeah then. it's it's interesting you bring this up because when i was in pt school like we're sitting a lot um and i just felt like really sluggish out of shape i wasn't as happy granted i left montana <laughs> but uh yeah i think part of it was the inactivity you don't get the dopamine spikes when you're not active and so when i started um working out a little more we're still just testing the mics so oh, okay. <laughs> yeah we, but i mean it is recording <laughs> because this is all gold oh, but uh if we put this on it'll be on cool it's just cool i'm all good with that yeah okay but, but when i started working out um i felt happier more motivated i felt more focused because after i'd work out you hit like a a period where you're just like you're in the zone you're not worried about anything else you can really focus and calm down you're not thinking about a million things at once so it really helped with anxiety with PT school, because that's just a given, I think, yeah. <laughs> with any medical school. No, for sure. I mean, that's mm-hmm. constant stress, stress, stress. Like, And in medical school, you have to be like the best, or else you're like not going to make it. <laughs> you're trying to be anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I felt like that really helped. And then it, I almost like became addicted to exercise, but not in an unhealthy sense, because there is an unhealthy point where... You're actually doing more damage than good when you're over-exercising. Um, so trying to get patients to understand that, because sometimes I think when they come into PT, especially if they have no athletic background, they're like, oh, yeah, I need to, like, exercise, exercise, exercise. Like, no, you need time to chill. We all need time <laughs> The rest is just as important as the exercise. I've said that three times today at work, <laughs> even. Like, yeah. you have to rest. No, I mean, like, that's why we have the wellness center. Like, it's like, exactly. Yeah. Like, you... Uh, uh, yeah, you can break down your body so much, but they, the, the David Goggins mindset's only harmful in the way that it's like, yeah, you could overtrain. Yes. You could, and if you don't sleep, like you can't just keep running. Right. And then also understanding what types of stress you're over or you're going through. So like I went to a, a conference earlier this year, um, the company, they had like, uh, like the Theragun. It wasn't that exact name. I can't remember the name of it. Like but it was like... Yeah, it was like percussion yeah. instrument. Um, they had that. They had like the vibrating ball that you can use to massage. Oh, yeah, and they also had... Um, shoot, I cannot remember the name of them. But they're like electrical stim pads. And it was interesting because I feel like PTs just kind of... Myself included. Mindfully or mindlessly throws these things at people. to Be like, oh, this will make you feel better now that you're done with your exercise. Like, how but, do you know, like, this modality is going to be the one? Like, there's right. you have to hit it with, like, 15 things before you really... Like, right. So, like, with this lecture, it was cool because he talked about metabolic stress. He mentioned red light therapy. That was something that came up. Um, and then he also talked about, like, physical stress. So you'd want to use more, like, compression stuff like that. Um, and then, like, neural stress. So that's when like you'd want to use electrical stand. Like, like, like uh, compression versus like percussion, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like percussion's more damaging, but compression's more like I don't know. I wouldn't feel as like if I was like torn up, I'd feel like well, I'd want more compression than percussion per se. Right, because right? percussion's really good to like stimulate the nervous system, get it going, because it's fast paced. It gets the blood flowing. It's just like a like if you have an athlete on the table before a game, you don't want to do like a a nice Swedish massage because that's very relaxing. It down regulates the nervous system. You want something fast, rapid, ready to go. 
percussion is a great instrument because it stimulates blood flow, but it also upregulates the nervous system because you're you're stimulating it. Um, where compression is more of a downregulation of the nervous system. Yeah, and so like yeah, I, I, and I think even on myself, like I'll always like do all of them mm -hmm. and like just keep doing them and just keep going back and forth because I just I like the feeling of all of the, yes. the different therapies, but I. I I think there's probably like a time and place for like each one of them. Yes. I could have done it like in, in the right order. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, sometimes I'll just, yeah, all percussion and then compression. And then right. like you're doing both. Is that? I would say if that, if you're going to do both in the day, that's how I would do it is the percussion first and then the, and then the compression after. Yes. Because you've just okay, woken so up the nervous right system. Right. Accident. But like, <laughs> I mean, I mean like, okay, but like I'm saying regardless, if I did it both the other way around, it would be bad. It wouldn't be bad. You just probably wouldn't get the full extent of benefit from each modality. I think the other important thing to stress is it's not it's not always necessary to do every modality. It feels great, and you're not going to like injure yourself if you do one before the other. Yeah. You just might not max out your benefit with it. But the other thing, too, is if you didn't stress yourself metabolically and you do a metabolic modality, I mean, it's not really going to do much because there's no stress there for it to fix. If that makes sense. But it's also not going to harm you either. It's not going to harm you, but it's just going to be, it's just a waste of time. Right. Well, okay. not, well not a waste not of time. Not totally, but it's There's not still as some beneficial. lymphatic drainage. You're like still pushing stuff around. Yeah. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I guess it's not. It's, it's just always not. good to move it around, right? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. All right, guys. And uh, anyways, that was a long uh, pre-intro. Um, now we're going to get to the real podcast. So welcome to The Price for Paradise. My name's Woody. A.K.A. Creston Woods, um, and today with me I have Alex Ungretti. Aloha. Aloha, <laughs> and uh, she's back for round two. She, uh, we had another one um, a little while back. It's called uh, Physical Therapy. You should go re-listen to that if you want to hear more about her story. And like, we talk a lot about like ACLs and like how you know we can't lean on the brace too much you know during our recovery and like things of that nature so if you have any like knee problems like that's a great podcast for you um go back and listen but today we have some new topics we're just kind of kind of run with it um if you heard, heard our pre-talk i mean it's just, it was already going so um, we can review it too <laughs> yeah we can review it as well but um yeah welcome thank you yes awesome. and so uh where do we want to start? <laughs> I just kind of like threw us out of that. But um, yeah. Well, I've been with Spooner PT for a year now, just over a year, and it's been an incredible year. Um, you learned so much. Yes, we have a sports med program. Um, Pull the whole chair. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Go. We've got a, a sports med program um, where they select certain PTs throughout the company, and then they join the sports med in mentorship program. Um, and it lasts a few months. We go every other week um, at our sports institute, and it was just it was mind blowing to learn and see the things that I I didn't know about, or knew that I was doing, or knew that I should. You know, it was like things I didn't know I should be doing. Yeah. Or like, like little stuff or what? Like big and big small. Stuff. Yeah. It yeah. was like minute things like it seems really small but it's actually a big deal, but like how you cue somebody on an exercise. Oh, it matters. 
completely like it's huge. communicating it to them yeah because not yeah. everyone's aware of where their glutes are i had someone point to their thigh today and tell me that was their glute and, and i was like not, no there's no like perfect <laughs> cue for everybody right right like, yeah because you have to, you have to like to... your patient's cues right so every every program should be individualized to your patient and that was stressed a lot in this program and luckily my school stressed that a lot um and then even even with my previous mentors, that was always mentioned. Like, don't be cookie cutter. Make it unique to the individual. Because everyone has different goals. You're not yeah. going to treat a pole vaulter the same way you're going to treat, like, a, a jump roper. I yeah, mean, they're both biometric, but completely different yeah, sports. Exactly. One huge jump versus a million tiny jumps. Right. Yeah. Then you're, you're looking at endurance versus power. Like, which focus are you going to go with? Mm -hmm. um, but we talked a lot about that, and that was... Like with the queuing thing, we talked about external queuing versus internal. So a lot of times, and I am totally guilty of this, but I'll say squeeze your butt, squeeze your glute muscles. Oh, and nobody knows how to actually do that. Right, and like, they do like, this weird, funky movement, but then if you give them an external, yeah. something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do you phrase this? <laughs> yeah. But if you give them an external cue or a target to move towards, so if they're doing a bridge, you would say push your hips up towards the ceiling, push down through your heels into the table. Yeah. And then they immediately get it, mm -hmm. and it's like it's so it makes it so much easier to correct form. Oh, no, no, no. That That's how it is a lot with personal training, too. Like, yeah. a lot of our cues, that you can't just be like, <laughs> oh, pull your traps back. They don't even, like, know where their traps are half the time. So right. it's like, you know. Yeah, and I can't fault them for that because not everyone took anatomy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's interesting. Like, I, one thing I, I've seen recently, um, I've had patients come in and they'll say, yeah, they just... Either the doctor or the other PT they were seeing, they just throw a lot of anatomical terms at them. And they don't know the anatomical terms. Right, so right? they so leave to, not knowing anything. You have to meet anything. them at their language barrier, like, right? Right. And, and especially when you're working with them to actually help them. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I actually had a patient call. This was, I don't know how many months ago. And she was like, so why is my doctor sending me a PT? And I was like, oh, was, was that not discussed with you? And they said, no. I have. They said something. I have no idea. And so I had to pull up their note. Luckily, the doctor had faxed something over, yeah. but I pulled it up and I was like, oh, and I was kind like, of reading it to her. Right. Yeah. And I, I tried, like, there were some terms I didn't break down. She's like, well, what does that mean? And I was like, well, this is a good opportunity to talk about this. And so um, taking things step by step and taking it back is super helpful. Plus, it empowers a patient. Yeah, because then they get to learn more and, like, their knowledge goes deeper into, like, their actual injury. Yeah. So that they can help themselves. Yeah. And they can, like, do better research for themselves. Right. Like, one big thing, um, I was at a sports med conference last year hosted by Spooner. Actually, we're having it again in March, and I highly recommend it. It was so valuable, and I learned so much. We had so many professionals, whether it was just, you know, sports med docs treating general population or professional sports, and it was incredible. But one thing they talked about was MRIs. And when patients get an MRI, <laughs> I'm guilty of this too. <laughs> but when you read it, it's very overwhelming because they're usually super detailed. There's a lot of information in there. Um, and usually they have this nice little section at the bottom with impressions and it kind of summarizes it, wraps it up in a nice bow. Uh, but the so other details are very helpful. Just go straight to that? Yes. I, when I'm going over an MRI report with a patient, I usually tell them, ignore the rest of this. Actually, ignore the whole thing, because I'm going to tell you what it is in plain terms. This is what you need to know. There, there's actually two acronyms, and I am so sorry I cannot remember the names, or the what they mean, but they're BARF and VOMIT, and pretty sure VOMIT was like victims of medical information. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember, but it's like overload of technology, or terminology. Yeah. So patients are... Um, 
they get overwhelmed when they see an MRI. Yeah. So, like, for example, if I have a patient come in and they had an MRI on their shoulder and it has, like, ten different points of things that they've looked at, but overall it's literally just a rotator cuff strain. So it's not a full tear or anything. It's just, yeah. like, an overuse thing. Um, patients will see it and they freak out and they're like, do I need surgery? What happened here? What does this mean? What does that mean? And it freaks them out. So I try to go over the MRI report with them or... If I don't have the MRI report, I tell them, call your doctor's office and talk to your doctor about it. Yeah. And they'll be able to break it down for you. You do not need to read that. <laughs> Sometimes a, I try yeah. not to give it to them because it is overwhelming, but I know some people like to have that copy, so I'll give it to them. But I, I try to read it. Yeah, because them. everyone deserves like at least the right to look at their information, you Absolutely. know, and, and, and like make their own assumptions <laughs> about their health and, and whatnot. Like, yeah. Right. Of course. And that but goes back it does help to have a background in reading that kind of stuff too that is also Absolutely. to be said right yeah come on like they, they went to school to you know look at these things and tell people like what they are like obviously not all doctors are bad right like, come on people are right. trying to help you yeah. yeah yeah exactly and i i'm glad you brought that up too because i feel like um there's certain times when every medical profession gets a bad rap yeah. um but i think it's safe to know and definitely safe to say that there are always going to be good doctors, there's always going to be good chiropractors, there's always going to be good athletic trainers, and there's always going to be good PTs. Yeah. And personal trainers like yourself. Yeah. There's always good in every profession. Yeah, It's exactly. just a matter of, like, like... There are bad, too. Like, yeah, and right. I know that we've all had, like, bad situations, and that's why we go to alternative health things and, mm -hmm. like, try to, like, do our own health because we're scared of, you know, going to the bad doctor. Exactly. And, like, yeah, and, but there are good doctors, too. Yes. Plenty yes. of them. Yeah. Yes. And they're and all trying, even if they're not even... Like, some bad, like, we're not saying good, bad, you know, it's like a spectrum. And, right. you know, they're all trying to help, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, my hope would be that all the intention is the same to make, or to do best by the patient. Yeah. And I think, um, I feel fortunate because I, I get to work with a lot of really, really good doctors. And I can tell they're good because their patients will either come back and flat out say it, or they have an individualized plan. I may have two patients from the same doctor, but their plans look completely different, and they have the same injury. And yeah, that's because they're huge. different people. Because it's the same injury, but different lifestyles, different environments that they have to heal in. Right. Yeah. Right, which was actually our whole entire first lecture in our sports med program. Let's go. You know, I know something. I don't know what it is. Maybe was, I should teach the class. No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. I have no clue what I'm talking about. It was, it was really a cool course. The people that taught it were phenomenal. Like, I... I feel so lucky to have been in that class and like meet those people and get to know them and just hear them talk and their experiences. Like I, I think with PT moving to a doctorate, there's a lot of like PTs that understand, okay, I have a doctorate. That does not mean I'm the end all be all. I need to continue to learn. You have to learn every year. And the people that taught this class, I would feel totally comfortable saying, I think they're complete experts in the field and they have reached the top. But if you ask them, they will say, no, I have so much more to learn. And that's that's the mindset, right? Isn't that yes. like that? That's like the Kobe mindset. It's like, like, yes. it's like the, uh, it's unfinished. They're still working even though they're at that, you know, pinnacle, at least in other people's minds. Yes, yes. Yeah. Which, to me, when they would say that, I was just like, really? I thought you were like the almanac on PT. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, a hidden gem. It's amazing because like... If you, if you think you're at the top at any time with anything, 
I think you, I think people need to take a step back and be like, well, hold on. What, what can I do to be better? Because I, in my mind, after taking this course especially, I have to take a step back and be like, you know, I will never be the best because the best always wants to get better. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. You're like, well, then they're going to continue. I can do the continue. best I can, but the best I can means I have to keep moving up. Yep, constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's in everything. Right. right? Yeah, you right. got to keep moving up or else you're just going to, you know, plateau. Right. Stay there, like just like when you're working out. Exactly. Yeah. And you and you have to, like, when you're working with patients, you have to be careful, too, and, like, not instilling false hope in them, but giving them reasonable hope and then also understanding. Yeah, like, just they, be real. they have to believe that they can heal. Right. But, like, are they going to be exactly the same? Exactly. Maybe not. Depends on the injury. Right. Yeah. It also depends on their coaching style. So, you know, if I have a patient who's 78, never worked out a day in her life or his life, not into sports at all, I'm probably not going to be in there and be like, let's go, you know, like <laughs> yelling yeah. at them. You're, you're going to be like, you know, encouraging them, but not like going over the top yelling at them. Yeah, and they're going to have a lot harder time, like, even just because of that lack of background in the, you know, right. uh, getting into a new physical, you know, routine right. like, is already going to be stressful on the body. And it's daunting. Yeah. Like, a lot of people are like, I don't want to go to a gym. I've if never done never that been in my life. One. Yeah, and it's, like, I actually still get that sometimes when I go to a new gym. I'm like, I'm kind of nervous about being here, but then, you, you know, it flows. Yeah. Here's great. I feel at home. But, um, yeah, I just... Like, if you can understand the patient and just develop a good connection with them. And there's going to be patients and clients, I think we talked about this before, where you are you may not always connect with that patient or that client. And the best yeah. thing you can do is send them to somebody else that might connect better. Yeah, no, 100%. Or you can figure out what are some of their interests. How to serve them best. Right. Because they are your patient and you're, like, working for them. And then mm -hmm. in, like, a service mindset, you can't... You gotta be the bartender. You gotta be like really nice, yeah, and just like brush off the things that you don't like mm -hmm. because you have to do a job that you know you're helping that person right like, heal. And so like even if they are frustrating you, <laughs> yep. And it, it takes yeah. a lot to like have to swallow your pride and be like, oh, you, you know, you might do better with somebody else. But like, there's yeah. some situations where it's like, like I'll be working with a patient. I may not connect with them right off the bat, but they'll mention one thing, and I'm like. I can look that up tonight. It takes like five minutes. Or they'll mention a TV show. I'm like, I'm going to watch the first episode before oh, I go to bed. Exactly. And it's, then you can like relate to them. You know, like, um, I, I think, well, one of the studies actually that was brought up in class and it was done by the National Athletic Trainers Association. Um, it was an article published in their journal, but it was talking about emotional quotient versus intelligent quotient. So EQ or emotional quotient was definitive of better success and outcomes um, for patients versus intelligence. So a good example of that would be like, <laughs> let's say you go, let's say you you're, you have two personal trainers. One has a really, really high IQ, super low EQ. The other person has a really high EQ, maybe a lower IQ. Yeah. The one with the higher EQ is going to be more successful with their client than the one with the higher IQ. 100%. They connect better with their clients. Exactly, I mean, which like, motivates them. Yeah, and that's that's half the battle. Like that's why <laughs> that's why all of the the really smart ones are pissed because they don't know how to connect with their people. Right. Because they're really smart. They they have all of the uh, like intelligence in the world on how to train properly. 
But if you can't connect like with your client and like mm -hmm. teach them how to do the move that you want them to do, mm -hmm. then you're never gonna get there. Right. Like you gotta you gotta there's like a mixture between like fun and work at yes. the gym for a lot of people. Yes. And it's not yeah. <laughs> I know it's not always the best because you know you want to get as much done as you can you want to put in the work and you want to you know make progress because like if you're not putting in enough work you're not gonna make any progress but right but if, it, if it's not fun to come in if you hate it and you don't like your trainer and you know everything is just like it's not worth your time right it's not gonna make you healthier right like what if you were going to a personal trainer and you absolutely hated them. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> Which I would hope that would be the case. But, like, you, you couldn't relate to them on any level. And it just seems like there's no interest taken into your interests. Like, let's say your goal is to go back to playing baseball. And your personal trainer is, like, no zilch about it. I'm not saying you have to be an expert on it. But let's no. say the personal trainer is just like, oh, yeah, I don't like baseball. We're going to talk about football instead. Like, would you want to go back to that? Well, no, because, like, uh, obviously, if I'm going into, you know, the sport, I'm going to surround myself with people with the same, you know... Right. Uh, IQ, like, baseball IQ, you mm -hmm. know, similar things, like, so that I can be talking baseball in my, you know, workouts, yeah. I can be doing these things. Like, you have to be, set yourself in an environment and the people around you mm -hmm. to, you know, fit your goals. Right, right. Yeah, and if your trainer doesn't fit your goals, then why are you going to that trainer? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, too, from, like, a clinician standpoint, I've never had a cricket athlete, <laughs> which would not be very common here, yeah. but, like, if I were to have a cricket athlete, I would like to take an interest and go watch a game on TV or on my computer, or even if it's just a short stint. Yeah. What's it all about? What's the rage about it? And that's emotional, right? That, yes. That's the emotional uh, intelligence right there. Yes. Um, having that ability to step outside of your box and go meet them on their level mm -hmm. and then come back and, like, try to have them meet you on your level. Right. And, yeah. Right. And, like, a, an example of that right now, I have, <laughs> I have a whole library of books I need to read <laughs> because I keep having patients bring them in. Yeah. And they're like... We'll be talking about reading, and I will not lie, I had a really hard time reading a normal book after PT school because I kept reading everything like a textbook. Yeah. It sounds nerdy, I know, but um, I finally sat down and read a book, and I was, like, hooked. And I was like, wow, I've never enjoyed reading a book this much. Like a novel? Yeah. And yeah. I felt like it was because when I'd go back to work with the patient that brought the book in, we had something to connect on. And it was like every time they'd come in, I was looking forward to working with them just to talk about yeah. it. Also to see how well they're doing. But yeah. I felt like it's totally transformed their progress. Because when they come in, I feel like they have a, a higher sense of like, I'm doing good now. I'm doing better. Yeah. I'm still having some issues, but I'm doing better. And it was like the, the whole talk and dynamic of their speech changed. It was all positive. Yeah, and then it's also a great like way to to pull them from like the negative mindsets that like you, you know they're going to be having like you're you're hurt you mm -hmm. can't you don't have the abilities that you do on a regular basis and and that's going to bring up a lot of like complaints yes um and you're the person that they get to vent to right right and so mm -hmm. that at least like hinders some of that venting time of complaining into something that's more dis maybe distracting for them and then mm -hmm. you know the time flies they have fun boom, they heal a little bit better. Yes. Because it's not, like, the constant nagging on the complaining is only just focusing on the pain and focusing on the bad stuff. Right. And the, yeah. there's, like, actual studies done on negative focus versus positive. It's a lot easier to fall in the negative hole. But 
like in your position, you're seeing clients a lot more than most other medical professionals will see them. Yeah. Which I, that's why I value like personal trainers, ATCs, PTs, chiropractors, because they see, well, and I value doctors too, because they all see their patients, you know, pretty frequently. Um, I will say in the traditional medicine model, like surgeons don't see their patients as much. Okay, they're which yeah, is specialized. Understandable. Yeah. yeah, they're very specialized. And like, you know, you're you're not gonna see as much progress one day to the next. But like in in my shoes I feel like both in my athletic training days and in my PT time, I feel like when you're working with a patient day to day, the patient's living their experience so they don't see the progress. Where like I'm seeing them from outside of their experience. Like I yes, see it all I see the them time. every day. Yes. You yeah. see them every day or every other day or every three days, however often you see them, you're going to see more progress than they ever will because they're living it. And so they're living with every single second of progress. Where we see larger measurements, and when they go see the doctor or the surgeon, they see a lot more progress. (laughs) However, (laughs) because we see them more frequently, we have to be their soundboard for positivity. Yeah. And it is not easy to do. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, it's like the first thing, right? You you get on the treadmill (laughs) and like for me at least it's the warm-up we get like 10 minutes of like dump on me like what was your day like like what's going on with your body like what's hurting where we why and like Mm -hmm. and then reframing and trying to figure out like how we can either solve these problems or how we can get over them so that you know Mm -hmm. like hey like if we can't you know solve this today then let's not complain about it because we can't control that like we have to just move on to the things we can't control and you know right get on with it because again like all these psychological stresses i don't want them in my workout (laughs) and so yeah yeah, we gotta get them out (laughs) on the treadmill first and then we get to the you know the actual work and yeah Mm -hmm. but that's a big part of it yeah yeah that initial dump i i will tell you i used to do the i should get back to it but i used to do the nike running app a lot yeah. And there was this one run, I can't remember what it was called, but it was probably the best run I've ever had because the first five minutes, the guy on there is telling you, just dump out all your negative thoughts, get it out there right now, what do you hate, what did you hate about today, what's yeah. been sucky the last Like, month? you don't have to lie to yourself, like, yeah, it did suck today, yeah. you know? It get does, it like, get it out, like, you know, Tiger yeah. Woods, he hits a bad shot, he screams, bloody murder and then he composes himself afterwards yes. because you know he he got it out he let go of that emotion and then boom yeah composure so like, it helps to release it yeah and like i felt like as soon as i and i was talking out, i was running outside people were probably like what is this girl doing but i was like in my head i was saying these things some of it may have come out out loud i don't know but i was like well this didn't go very well this didn't go very well and i was getting angry and then he the guy said something about, okay, now think of what went well. And when I started thinking what went well, my heart rate was already up. And I felt like I just ran, outran all my problems that day. And I was like, wow, this feels good. And, and another thing, too, is like something I do a lot with my patients is if they come in and say, well, this didn't go very well, then, then I'll say, okay, well, well, what went right about it? Or, well, here's a silver lining with that issue. Like, just to think... Um, like silver lining or um just thinking about flipping what is the positive of your negative yeah, reframe yes. reframe reframe yes. just like every time you find yourself in that like negative uh, affirmation like mm-hmm. you're telling yourself it's like this bad thing's happening like well you know 
there's a flip side to every bad and mm -hmm. like you know we're making progress still it's better than yesterday yeah you know yeah. imagine where we were yesterday or like when we actually heard it like you know we weren't even able to walk that day right you know? right but, so then when you're working with clients like you want to be able to be that soundboard for the patient like give me all your bad stuff just put all the baggage on me take it off yep and that i think helps them motivate i i have to mention i saw a meme the other day <laughs> and this is not fair to Trevor Lawrence because I think they were just walking out for warm-ups. Yeah. But it was him like turning around and saying, "All right, guys, we'll show them what we got." In that tone. That was, that was it. <laughs> and the the caption on it said, "This guy couldn't even motivate me to make a sandwich." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I for was real. like, "Okay, yeah." But also, they're just like you don't know the context of the situation. Yeah. But there are people out there. That's their way to motivate people, and it's not working. Like it doesn't suit everyone's style. Yeah, you just have to find like the style. You got yeah. yeah, you got to get into their style. Yeah. Yes, yes. Like we have a at Spooner, we have a a platinum rule, and it's treat others as they would want to be treated, because not everybody is you. So like, I know growing up they'd say the golden rule is treat others as you'd want to be treated. Cool, but like, what I like may not be what you like, or what my sister likes, or my brother likes. You know, it's yeah. It's different. But I like that. No, treat people the way they want to be treated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a good spin on it because, yeah, mm -hmm. obviously, I mean, not everyone wants to be treated like I want to be treated. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, when we get back to that, like, emotional dumping, right? So, mm -hmm. like, they dump it on you. Yes. All day long. Mm-hmm. All day, every day. <laughs> and so, what do you do to mm -hmm. dump all of this emotion that you've been taking in and like you've been reframing and it's, it's exhausting. I know it's exhausting. I, mm -hmm. I have to deal with it too, a little bit too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, yeah, what do you do? What are some like, you know, things that help you get back to, you know, recharge? Um, well, the first thing, <laughs> every PT hates it, but documentation, when I'm documenting notes, I feel like to me, I use it as a journaling technique to be like, me oh. regurgitating everything the patient told hey, me. Hey, you don't even have to journal. It's, it's forced journaling. It is forced journaling. <laughs> 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 Obviously with the important information too. Yeah, like but that's that. really nice though. A lot of people, yeah. they lose their practice here and there on the journaling. And journaling helps a lot. It does. But uh, yeah, but if, you have to, if you're forced to do it every night, guess what? Yeah. It works. And you have to have them done anyway, so why not just get it out that night? So like, because before I had fallen pretty far behind on notes, anyone could tell you that. And it happens to every PT, I swear. It's it's hard to stay up on notes. But um, I, whenever I went to go do notes, I was like, gosh, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit at my computer and do notes. Um, but now I look at it as like an opportunity to like get everything off of my mind and put all the baggage back into their note. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's so a release. Like, it's your release is like on the paper. Yeah. And on I'm not the, like, on the keyboard, I guess. Right. And I'm yeah. not documenting every little thing they said because that's impossible but like no like but when i'm documenting it's like a summary yeah. yeah like when there's like a subjective box because we do the soap note so in the subjective portion i'll put this is what the patient's complaining of blah 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 blah, blah. um this is what else was, is going on with them um and they think it may be contributing to the pain because a lot of times i mean pain is multifaceted so there's an emotional component there's a physical component there's a ton yeah, that I'm plays a, a role in it. I'm in a certification right now with uh, about the nervous system. Yes. And it's uh, like this electric stimulation thing. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's like a like psychologically, your body will just stop itself when it thinks it's in pain or it thinks yes. it's it can't do that thing. Yes. And then you'll it'll stop and it'll just break down. Yeah. And you're just like you, but you physically can do that movement. Like your body has the capabilities to do all of that. But we're using like 
40% of our muscle capacity. So right. it just shuts off because it thinks it can't. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one way that I try to get rid of <laughs> emotional baggage. Um, the second thing I do is working out. So kind of like what we were talking about before, like yeah. in the prequel, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, when I work out, I feel like I just get like all my stress. Just let's go. Let's lose. Yeah. And it's no, like, I see her in here. She's getting after it with the tribes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it totally like cleanses the mind and body. Like, um, it's interesting. Cause one thing to do to get rid of stress is Jacobson's relaxation technique, which is where you're literally squeezing and tightening the small tighten muscles working all the way single. up. Yeah. Right. It's That's like a, a almost a progressive exercise. relaxation, but it's also, it starts with a contraction. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cause you're like squeezing and like, trying to hold it tight and then you let go. So it's like you're you're teaching your body to tighten up and relax, which sounds a lot like concentric exercise. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, exercise is a form of relaxation, so that's what I'm gonna do. Um, so that helps. And then um, when I was in college, I took a sports performance psychology class. Best class I ever took, I swear. I learned more in that class than I probably have learned in anything else. And I loved all my classes. Because the psychology, if you don't have that nailed first, then yes. none of the progress happens. It's just like if you don't have a core, what's the point <laughs> yeah. of lifting? Exactly. You just do everything in a bunch of random directions yes. and just build up like one-sided leg. Exactly. Bigger than the you got to yeah. start from the, the center, which is your brain. Because yeah. your brain, it's totally mind over matter. I was reading more on Wim, Wim Hof recently and I was like, he's got it. He knows. This is why he could do what he did. Oh, we're about to get into the breathing. <laughs> I heard her say Wim Hof. Uh-oh. No. But, uh, but I, he, or my professor mentioned um, mental hygiene. Because we do dental hygiene. And we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah. But what I like to do is I, I try to see a counselor at least once a year if I can. Um, just for mental clarity. I mean, you may be carrying baggage and not realize it because your body does weird things. Yeah, and talking to somebody that's not in your life. Yes. And that is a big part of it, right? So, like, mm -hmm. it's like a complete third person. Like, not... Like, if everyone has a motivation in your life towards mm -hmm. you for some reason or not, like, not in a bad way, mm -hmm. it's just, like, they love you or something, and, like, they, so they'll say something that might not be the perfect, you know, right. reason, like, from a third-person perspective, right? Yes. So, uh, the therapist or, like, uh, helps. Yes, because, like, and that's where emotional quotient is huge, because, yes, your family members, they're emotionally invested in you, so they already have the EQ towards you. But when you're talking to a therapist or a counselor, they're completely removed from your life, but they better have a heck of a lot of EQ. Yeah, well, yeah, that's Otherwise, the job, right? Isn't that like, work. that's 100% the job, right? 100% oh, yes. emotional yeah. and so, <laughs> intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like if you can find a good counselor, same thing, there's good and bad. If you can find a good one, then you're set. And I think that's probably one of the most valuable assets you could have. Really? But I think they're... I think people look at it with the stigma of like, oh, mental health, ooh, you know, but like now it's yeah more pronounced, which is good. I guess I've never been, well, I guess I've been to a therapist when I was like a kid probably, mm -hmm. but, um, now I, it's not, it's been a long time since I've been to like a guidance counselor, but I guess mm -hmm. I look at that as like a coach or like a, like a yes. mentor or like someone, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily a therapist, but like someone to look to like that. Right. But, right. um, but yes, the therapy route, I think I've, I'll try that out one time. Yep. Because if, if you think about it, like, um, mind over matter with everything, 
if you're if you're mentally not with it, how can you perform? We saw it in the Olympics. Yeah. We see it with athletes every day. Like, uh, oh yeah, what's her name? Simone. Simone. Yeah. yeah. Biles. Yeah, yeah. She was. Uh, oh, she just like one day couldn't do it. Yeah, and she's perfectly capable. We've seen her do it We've before. We've seen her hundreds of times. But if your mind and heart like isn't in it in the moment, like it's not a matter of like physicality. That's all mental. And if you if you don't have the mental with all to be there in that moment, and for her to like stand up and say it, that was pretty bold. big. Yeah, that was bold. Bold. And it's it's tough to do, especially when you're on that big of stage. I mean, most kids and most kids and athletes that that's like their life goal is to make it to the Olympics. So if you can get there and you recognize yourself that you mentally are not safe enough to be doing it, like that's that's a huge, huge I give her props for like it. maturity, like for her age and like yeah. to be able to just like step out and be like, Yo, I can't. Yeah. 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 And I mean, they think there's other times when like this is tough because um like if you look at I cannot remember her name. I'm really struggling with names today. <laughs> But there was that gymnast who broke her leg, and she continued to compete. That's and badass. And that was... Exactly. But, like, at the same time... Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> was that the smartest thing to do? Probably not. Probably but not, but you're in the Olympics. Yeah. I would And do it's it. like, you're... Right. It's like yeah. your dream to be there, so, like, you gotta do it. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's different. Like, it's not the all-star game where nobody cares, and it's right, like, yeah, like, right. yeah, obviously, we don't want these guys to get injured. Yeah. But in the Super Bowl... Or mm-hmm. in the NBA championship or in the World Series. Right. Like, you're going <laughs> to you're mm-hmm. gonna play. Well, like, with her. With a bloody sock. <laughs> what I, if you have to? Right, yeah. right. And I totally respected her for that. Cause I, and I still do. I think that's absolutely incredible that she was able to fight through that and do it. Um, but now, like, I feel like some people almost frown upon it, which I don't think she should lose respect over that because that was incredible. No, 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 no. But... Um, I can see where, like, some people would be like, you know, that wasn't smart. That's not setting a great example because, you know, now you're teaching kids to play through hurt. I'm like, well, you know, there's give and take with that. Yeah, I mean, yes, in practice, don't play through hurt. Like, in training, don't play through hurt. When you're in recovery, Mm -hmm. I know, like, I see this, like, because those players come, like, after they got hurt, mm-hmm. they have that mindset because they're the people that push through. Yeah. They're the people that, like, you know, like, I'll come back faster, I'll do this, but they push too hard, mm-hmm. you know, and that ends up being too much. So that's when and we so, come yeah. in and we're like, we're okay, you can down. still play, but we need to change things up. Yeah. Whether it's, like, how many pitches are you throwing today or how, how many quarters are you playing today? Or are you going to be contact or non-contact at practice? Like, that kind of thing. So there's mm-hmm. there's things you can do to help with it. It's That's a... I just am still amazed by that feat because that was absolutely incredible that she was able to do that. But I also think it was good of Simone to recognize, like, she was not performing how she should have. I think that's the other thing, too. In today's world, people are starting to see mental health as, like, a like an injury. Yeah. It's not visible, just by looking at somebody, but it's there. Yeah, but you can be unhealthy mentally. Exactly. Like, yeah. Which causes other problems down the road. Yeah, it, it, it'll catch you physically. Yes. Eventually. Yes. <laughs> if it's, it hasn't already. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of times we always talk about it, but, like, emotion, I mean, physicality and psychology are, like, super intertwined. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so, like, if you're mentally unstable, like, eventually breaks down the body or... Yeah. You know, if you're physically unstable, you're going to go crazy because you cannot get back to physically stable. You right. know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then we have to help. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so, um, but Alex has been coming around lately to my breathing classes on Saturdays, and it has been a joy. Yes. But uh, today, she was talking to me a little bit about, <laughs> oh, there's a spider literally crawling in between the mics, guys. Um, one sec. I'm so sorry. Um, that is crazy. Um, I don't know where that went. I don't either, but it's not on me, so uh, All right, and, uh, but... Yes, so she uh, brought up something to me before the podcast a little bit about pelvic floor and breathing, and she found a study, so I wanted to talk yes. about that a little bit. I have to give a huge shout-out. I work with two of probably what are the best pelvic floor PTs ever um, within our clinic, and I had never heard of pelvic floor PT until I was in PT school. I didn't know it was a thing. I had like, no idea what it was about. It, like some very specialized <laughs> yes, yes. going down there. And a lot of PT programs at least when I was in school, from my understanding, did not really teach anything regarding it. And I think now more and more schools are having more awareness of it and teaching it. Um, but it was interesting because I was talking to one of my coworkers about um, this breathing class and how incredible it is. And she, she sees a lot of postpartum patients or um, she'll see patients with like urinary incontinence or um, prolapse. Um, I can't speak to a whole lot of the pelvic floor rehab stuff <laughs> yeah. and the effects that the, the breathing stuff would have on it. One thing she did caution me about was like a lot of postpartum women, um, sometimes the breathing technique is not the most ideal, but then we, she sent me a, a study the other day and it was very interesting because it was saying there's no significant difference in doing it versus not in successful recuperation for some um, pelvic floor dysfunctions. And the, the, the basis of that email, the question was, okay, are we, how do we look at anecdotal evidence and, like, true research and decide, like, how do we get that out to the public that this is anecdotal, it doesn't necessarily mean clinical significance versus, like, the studies that mean clinical significance. And, um, anyways, what I was reading, the study yeah, she sent me was... explain clinical significance for yes. the people. Yes. yes. Back to that terminology, right? Yeah, right, right. For me, uh, I'm just over here like, I, I don't know that one either, guys. So no, clinical significance means that, like, there's a, a meaningful change from some intervention that you introduce. So, like, for example, when we're talking about the breathing, when we're introducing these hypopressive breathing techniques. The stomach um, vacuum. Yes, yeah. yes. That or, like, even Valsalva and that kind of thing. Yeah, bracing. When you're introducing that, does it create enough change to mean something in the patient after the fact with their condition, whatever you're looking at. So like, um, let's say you have a patient with a pelvic floor prolapse and they do some of these breathing exercises. When they get better, is it because of the breathing exercises or is it because of the whatever time. else they're doing? Or time. Yeah. yeah. Cause sometimes it's- Things heal with time. Right. Yeah. So um, th with anecdotal evidence, you don't totally have that cause there's no stats, there's no, you're not yeah. putting someone in a lab and introducing these variables. Mm -hmm. It's all free floating, if you will. So, like, um, that article was saying it's it's hard to say that um, there may be some improvement. It could there be may better. Not. It could not be. Right. But. So then, as a clinician, 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 you're looking at it like, okay, do I do I put this intervention in their program or not? Well, does it hurt? Right. Which most of the studies that I was reading on actually today they were saying there's no harm per se 
So it doesn't hurt to try. Like, I mean, we should do this then. Now, because I am not a pelvic floor PT, I cannot full on say, (laughs) go and do these things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm going to say do them because I'm a breathwork coach and you should come to my breathwork class. But no, I know. So I was like, clinician, I'm going to (laughs) recommend you consult with your physician and determine from there or a pelvic floor PT. But I, I think their role in just general life and in sports especially, there's a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction in sports and we just... We've never really touched on it. Okay, and let's let's go in on this because, okay, we talk a lot about pelvic floor with women. Yes. And postpartum women. Mm-hmm. And so, like, men have pelvic floors too. Yes. And so, uh, like, to be honest, like, we don't talk about the male pelvic floor at all. We don't, like, girls at least work on it after they've had the baby to try and help, you know, do those things. Guys never work on it, ever. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like, yeah. That's actually an interesting thing, too, because our clinic, both of our public floor PTs te- uh, treat males. They do treat males? Yes. Oh, nice. Which I feel like is very hard to find a public... It's, first off, it's hard to find a public floor PT. Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> it's hard to find one that also treats males. I lucked out and worked with two of them. <laughs> yeah, right? So, and our company has several more, but um, which is nice. But it's... Um, I feel like it's something that's, like up and coming it needs to be more well known there needs to be more awareness of it um and one of the one of the things i was looking at today with the breathing techniques in pelvic floor was um like with the wim hof method it it says flat out pregnant women should not be doing it yeah and i don't necessarily and 100 percent, if you're pregnant please don't come to my (laughs) wim hof class because (laughs) our hyperventilations and breath holds will not be good for the baby correct i agree with that yes but it's interesting because i I like i want to pick their brains and be like okay what what else can i learn about all the breathing stuff from but you can do other breathing stuff with pregnant ladies and actually there's like there's a ton Mm -hmm. of good breath work uh exercises you can do that will help you during the birth and you know other um around the pregnancy well I, i feel so fortunate to be working with these two because like sometimes if they're gone um we'll see some of their patients as long as it's not involving pelvic floor manual or anything like that um but if it's like exercise prescription or like low back pain or something but they almost always include some form of breathing exercise heck yeah and i love it and so and i I actually started using some of it with just my non-pregnant patients (laughs) yeah so um especially if they have low back pain i don't know what it is i do i mean kind of it it stimulates endorphins and yeah, you know, endogenous and opioid release. And like a bunch of other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just, I feel like breathing is so underrated and underutilized in PT. And I feel like it's a huge disservice for PTs to not be teaching proper breathing techniques. Because every time you're lifting, every time you're moving, you should be breathing. Yeah. And a lot of times people are just holding their breath and not thinking about it. Yeah, and there are times and places when you can hold your breath. Yes. And when you're under... 315 pounds please hold your breath <laughs> um and but then when you're you know when you're just on the uh you know cardio machine please don't right. <laughs> because you know we need rhythmic breathing we need to keep it going um yeah yeah and optimizing that can only Im- improve your performance and like optimize the way you do everything right it's all about like efficiency right getting the oxygen to the muscles and clearing um all the metabolic waste you create during your workouts right right yeah yeah it's uh, I I took one Con Ed course on breathing, and I, I just signed up for a Postural Restoration Institute course. They 
that's an interesting branch. That's a whole nother thing. That's yeah. a whole nother Posture. beast. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But oh, they, yeah. they look at the asymmetries of the body and they actually have like a course for breathing and like the pelvic floor and how that all works. But um, I remember there was a PT I worked with at the University of Montana. Um, him and my mentor, they worked very closely together. So they, they did a lot of postural restoration institute work with our athletes. And one of the things I remember he did at one of our um, seminars was he talked about lung asymmetry. Because oh yeah, because one has three lobes, one has two. Exactly. So and he because was you saying. Because you have the place for the heart, and like yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a whole yeah, yeah difference to it. Exactly. Yeah. And like the kidneys don't sit even with each other. One's always higher than the other. And you know when we stand, one shoulder is typically our dominant shoulder is down, lower than the non-dominant. And um, he he had us do this exercise where we just turned slightly. I don't remember which direction or anything. And he had us take a deep breath. And it, to me, and I don't know if it's like placebo <laughs> or not, but it felt legit like I had more breath. Yeah. Just by turning that one way. And it was just the slightest movement. But he was saying it optimizes your breath. And um, one thing they talk about a lot is like the transversus abdominis muscle which is the the yeah. main core muscle not the six pack yeah sits right behind it <laughs> i'm just putting Guys. that out there <laughs> yeah no it's it's the weight belt that you know creates like all of the pressure for our valsalvas and our braces for our lifts like yes. you know if you don't have a strong transverse you don't i mean yeah mm-hmm. you're gonna get a hernia and it's gonna be yeah. no bueno or you'll have a back injury yeah, or back something injury or something um but he talked about that and the role of the diaphragm which is another underutilized piece of information i've noticed in myself like i don't educate patients enough about their diaphragm and what it could be doing for them oh i didn't even realize before i started doing vacuums Mm -hmm. like and you can kind of like unlock your diaphragm like if you don't use it very much like even like on a daily basis like it gets tightened after you wake up yeah and you gotta like really like do some like lung expanding exercise some stretches in the morning like Mm -hmm. and then you can breathe fully but like each night, like you tighten back down, like everything, your lungs, like when you're repairing and sleeping, everything, mm-hmm. you know, that's why working out, like I think is just like the best thing we can do to, you know, increase our breath and like yes. get better, more connected with the breathing. Yes. Um, if you don't like to meditate and sit there, um, cardio is mm-hmm. like the same thing, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but moving. And so you're basically rhythmically breathing um, at the same mm-hmm. pace. And if you connect with that and your movement at the same time, you mm-hmm. get that nice runner's high and it's exactly. a meditation in itself. Exactly. Well, like even the breathing exercise to me, I feel like I'm meditating because I'm focusing on my breath. Yeah. How often do people focus on their breathing? Probably like yeah, um, never. never. <laughs> yeah. And so every time I do that class, like the rest of the day, I just feel more energized and I feel like I can breathe easier. We live in a very polluted area. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I've noticed I now have allergies, which I never had before. <laughs> yeah. You should get some bee pollen from, uh, you know, you go to raw Inspire honey. Farms and yes. some raw honey. Raw I know honey. you go to Inspire Farms. You guys, her boyfriend, he's the reason I, I went to Inspire Farms in the first place. And, uh, yeah, shout out to Tiffany. She was one of our other guests. Uh, awesome place. Go get some raw organic milk over at Inspire Farms. But, yeah, mm-hmm. yes. um, for your allergies. Yes. And I feel like after the breathing class... The, the effect it has on the nasal pathways, I'm breathing so much easier. Oh, yeah. Like, right now, I feel a little stuffy because I haven't done any breathing work today. But, like, after the class, I just feel like 
I can take a deep breath through my nose. And like I think people don't realize like your nasal sinus is like moldable, right? Yes. And so like it's just like when you work out, you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't open, like if you don't push air into that forcefully into mm -hmm. those nasal passages, like those things open up for you and you can get some space in there and you breathe easy. Mm -hmm. But as soon as like, yeah, again, you just stop, you mouth breathing, um, you wake up, you're snoring like yes. overnight, like, and then those passages close up and mm -hmm. you, you lose all the benefits of the nasal cavity, like the nitric oxide, the filtration, the humidification, humidification, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, all that <laughs> big words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like any other bone, like I tell this to patients all the time, especially if they're talking about arthritis, marathon runners don't have arthritis until they quit running and it's because they stop stimulating bone growth. Yeah. So if you're, if you're removing that stimulus to the bone, in the case of nasal pathways, breathing through the nose, then the bone's not going to be as dense or as strong as if you're using the bone. So like with marathon runners, when they're running, they're creating impact on their joints. But when they stop, you, you have two types of cells in the bone, osteoclasts, which carve bone or break it down, and osteoblasts, which build bone. So when you're running and stimulating the bones, you're stimulating osteoblasts to build. Yeah, because like, you adapt to what you do, right? right? And so your body knows, like, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be running 20 miles. So guess what? I got to mm -hmm. build up bones for 20 miles. Exactly. Yeah. And then when you stop, your body's like, oh, oh, I don't need all this bone. Let's break it, it down. And so then, then all the I try for a 20-mile run and I die. Yeah, that's why yeah. you have to build up. To. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, no. but yeah, no, I, I think that was, I didn't know that until I had talked to you. And you mentioned that in the reading class. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I learned so much more every time. I, I found all the benefits of the breathing for myself in mm -hmm. just like my own life. And then I bring it to other people. There's the spider. Got him. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I learned so much. Like when you bring it, like other things to me like this and mm -hmm. like talk about like how, uh, you know, it works. And then you have a pelvic floor person that talks about exact same things. And mm -hmm. I'm like so interested now to go into more pelvic floor stuff yeah um because it's good for everybody yeah, it's great for everybody yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. and when you do that stomach vacuum pulls you can feel it like um if you can do the stomach vacuum right you can feel your pelvic floor pull up too because mm -hmm. when your diaphragm goes up your pelvic floor also has a diaphragm yes and it pulls up as well all your diaphragms are kind of connected yep it's and, a big tube including your tongue your tongue's a diaphragm too mm -hmm. yeah and it's all connected it's all a tube i mean from nose nasal pathways mouth all the way through yeah so. and and so yeah we don't realize how interconnected like the top to the bottom like we are mm -hmm. yeah yeah and left to right yeah and i mean when you think about it, like when i educate patients about their core it's amazing how many think it's just the six-pack muscle and i can't fault them for that because growing up that's what i thought it was yeah but it's, if I do it's the transverse crunches, i'm gonna have a six-pack right and yeah. they're like i have a strong core it's like yeah you can do crunches but can you can you do a plank can yeah, you can you stabilize can you yourself yeah. when you're in the air trying to catch a ball and some other guy's trying to tackle you? <laughs> and your core does not just work in a crunch pathway. It works in all three planes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that involves twisting, oh, going side to side. Yeah, so happy to be a baseball player for the yes. rotational. Like, uh, not a lot of athletes even deal with a lot of rotation like that. Like, I mean, unless mm -hmm. you're a tennis player or a baseball player, mm -hmm. I guess there's a few. There's some degree. There's a few. Oh, there's a lot of rotation, actually, in every sport. <laughs> Yeah, but, but there's some um, degree of transverse in every baseball, sport. At least in baseball, you're doing just a lot of twisting with the core. Right. And even That's running, right. like, yes, we it's mostly primarily sagittal plane, just straightforward. 
Yeah, but, but even then, there's so components. much transverse rotation. Yeah, because like, if you think about what your hips are doing, they're rotating in the transverse plane. If you think about what your foot and knee are doing, they're rotating. It's just not as obvious. Yeah. But, like, I think um, with the core, I think as long as people can have an understanding, it is a tube. You have your diaphragm, your pelvic floor. Those are your top and bottom. Then you have your obliques on the sides, which everyone, I think, hopefully, for the most part, knows what that is. Yeah. And then your transverse abdominis around the front, and then you have the back rotator. Your obliques are that place where your love handles sit right on top of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But all of those have to act together and be strong. You can't have one be strong and think that's going to work. Oh, yeah. And I think that, like, uh, there's a lot of value going in, like, the... Like when you get on your belly and do like an exercise like a Superman or mm-hmm. like a like a bird dog where you're completely going through the full range of motion of the core where like mm-hmm. a crunch is really only like part of the way there. Yes. And then like it also you have to lengthen and use like the back core muscles and there's so many like there's so much a part of that. Yes. Um, that's not just a crunch. And yeah. that that brings up another good point from that sports med class we. We had an assignment where you had to come up with a core exercise that was one, not a plank, <laughs> two, <laughs> yeah. not a sit up, but also like make it functional. And it was, and it had to be in like every plane. And um, one, that was really hard to do. <laughs> but two, I liked it because it, it made you really think like, think of a patient or a client that you work with and maybe a sport that they're interested in. Or even what their occupation is. Like if, if they're in construction, they're getting in all weird positions. Or a plumber, they get in weird positions. So think about something that puts them in that position, but how can you work one of those core groups? It doesn't always have to be the front core, it can be everything else. Yeah. So I I, I really like that because that was super helpful. But yeah, I think if you're if you go to somebody, they should have an understanding that it's 3D, it's not just one plane. hundred percent. Yes. Well, thank you, Alex. I think we're rolling up on the hour mark, so God. I think we gotta <laughs> cut it short. Um, I know we could talk for hours, but um, yeah, thank you so much for yeah. coming on. Is there anything else you want to say before we go? Do you have any last topics? Like anything like before? Like, uh, do you meaning to say before you go? I think we covered pretty much everything. Nailed just, it. Yeah. Just keep up on mental hygiene, core strength, and breathing. You're good. Yeah, get on your breathing, guys. It, it helps. Yes. Um, and uh, thanks, Alex, again um, for coming on the podcast. If you didn't hear her first one, you should go back and uh, listen because it was awesome. And uh, her story is awesome. She's just an awesome person. And we might have her back again um, to talk more uh, physical therapy and just any other topics we can come to mind because uh, clearly we've hit our time limit and we get to keep going. But, uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys next week on The Price for Paradise. My name's Woody, and aloha. Aloha. Aloha.